0: Who's there? Only me, love. Archie Mink's at your service. Got the goods.
1: Don't I always here?
0: Perfect. One final job for the Colonel, eh? I suppose you've heard.
1: That he plans to retire? Yes. Pff,
0: retire. As if he was a doctor or a plumber. Ah, oh, We won't see his like again. There's none that can touch the Colonel. Because he is careful to keep his own hands clean. Oh, Too right. If you want a thing done... Do not do it yourself. That's his motto.
1: Always. We take all the risks while he reaps the reward.
0: I am sick of... be fair, love. We've been well paid. I want more. What are you... No, don't tell me. Be careful, Nadina.
1: Always. Do you remember the De Beer diamond heist? Of
0: course I do. Robbery at the Kimberley Diamond Mine in South Africa right before the war. Fabulous haul of uncut diamonds, I heard.
1: Two young Englishmen were framed for the job. They had been prospecting in South America and made a tremendous find. Those unsuspecting fools brought sample stones to De Beers to be examined and verified.
0: Don't tell me. Lo and behold, following the robbery, their sample stones were found to be diamonds stolen from De Beers.
1: Darling, it's as if you were there. I made the swap, of course. Of
0: course. Leaving both poor devils broken-hearted and under arrest.
1: Oh, not for long. The charges were dropped. One of them came from a prominent family. Restitution was made. The whole affair fushed up. The men themselves were ruined, of course. The colonel
0: does love a scapegoat. (laughs) What became of them?
1: Does it matter? Archie, I kept the South American diamonds. They are unique. It would be easy to prove those stones never came from De Beers. Are you mad? Why tell me? Because I know you will immediately tell the Colonel. My diamonds would clear the suspects and implicate him instead. Careful, Archie. I am not such a fool as to carry them on me.
0: You know that the Colonel will never pay blackmail. Oh,
1: but he will. I hold the power now, and my silence comes at the price. Tell the Colonel I want to meet with him tomorrow, the usual place.
0: You know, it's dreadfully easy to underestimate the Colonel, Nadina. Don't.
1: I think it is you who underestimate me, darling Archie. Adieu.
0: Not adieu, old friend. Goodbye.
2: Artist Ensemble Theatre presents Mysterious Journey, Theatre for the Mind. Today's journey involves mystery, murder, and a voyage to Africa. From Agatha Christie, this is The Man in the Brown Suit, Part 1, The Millhouse Murder.
3: I had always longed for adventure, but it was surprisingly hard to come by in the village of Little Hampsley, where I'd lived all my life. Then, once I did find adventure, I learned that while parts of it are splendid, most of it is frightfully uncomfortable and some of it is terrifying. Adventure only turns into a ripping good yarn well after the fact. So, here it is. The Perils of Anne Bedingfeld, Adventurous. My father, Professor Bedingfeld, was a noted authority on primitive man. His mind dwelt happily on the Paleolithic age. Unfortunately, we live in the modern age and someone had to deal with the butcher and the milkman. Since Papa was immersed in the past and Mamara died when I was a baby, that someone was me. Can I tell you a secret? I hate Paleolithic man. Although I had typed and revised every word of Papa's great masterwork, Neanderthal man and his ancestors, primitive man filled me with loathing. Not that Papa had guessed my feelings. He lived quite detached from real life, quite oblivious of the fact that we never seemed to have any money. Papa's fame was not the kind that brought in cash. I escaped my dreary life at the Little Hampley Village Cinema with the perils of Pamela. Pamela was magnificent. She jumped from airplanes, submerged in submarines and crept about in disguise without a qualm. And she wasn't even clever. The master criminal was forever capturing her and dooming her to a slow death by poison gas chamber or something. But the hero always rescued her at the start of the next week's episode. I used to emerge from the cinema with my head in a whirl, then come home and find a notice from the gas company threatening to cut us off. But, although I had no inkling, every moment brought adventure closer. I expect there are lucky people who've never heard about the discovery of a Neanderthal skull in northern Rhodesia. But it was earth-shattering news to Papa, who was excited to the point of apoplexy.
4: Don't you see what this means, Anne? No, what? Well, this will prove to be. I am positive. The ancestral link to Neanderthal man. Why, this could definitively prove my theory on... Don't
3: spread marmalade on your bacon, Papa. You were saying?
4: What? Oh, yes. Uh, We we must depart at once. There's no time to be lost.
3: Where are we going, Papa? Rhodesia. I see. And what shall we use for money?
4: Don't be sordid, Anne. In the course of science, one must never be sordid.
3: The steamship company is quite likely to be sordid regarding tickets.
4: Not if you pay them with ready money.
3: We haven't got any ready money.
4: My child, I cannot be bothered with vulgar financial details. Besides, I had a letter from the bank just yesterday saying I had £27.
3: That's the amount you're overdrawn, Papa. Is
4: it? Oh, dear me. I know. I I shall get an advance from my publisher.
3: (laughs) while wearing one brown boot and one black boot, Papa. Let's make the match, shall we? And do wear your muffler, dear. It's bitterly cold. Papa left soon after, correctly booted and bundled up. He returned that evening with both muffler and overcoat missing. Papa!
4: Oh, dear me. I, I wonder where I... Oh, well, doesn't matter.
3: But it did matter. Papa coughed badly all that <coughs> evening, and the following morning I sent for the doctor. Poor Papa. It was double pneumonia. He died four days later. Mr Fleming, Papa's solicitor, was an old friend and came down from London for the funeral.
2: My poor, poor child. This is a sad occasion, but a lovely funeral service.
3: Did you think so? I really wanted to bury Papa in a cave with primitive paintings of woolly mammoths decorating the walls. He'd have loved that. But I expect it would have scandalised little Hampsley. Uh,
2: yes, quite. I wonder, my dear, what your plans are for the future.
3: Have adventures and see the world.
2: <laughs> yes. The thing is, I'm a bit concerned that you don't quite understand. The practical
3: difficulties? Oh, but I do. Been dealing with them for years. Still. Don't worry about me. You'll hear of me next in China or Timbuktu.
2: Goodness, um, perhaps before you embark on your travels, could you bear with me whilst I try to make a few things clear?
3: Certainly, as he droned on at a truly unnecessary length. The upshot was, I was the sole heir to the underwhelming sum of eighty-seven pounds and seventeen shillings. Now,
2: um, I understand that you have no living relatives?
3: No, I'm all alone in the world, like a heroine in the cinema.
2: (laughs) Yes, uh, just so... Dear me. Well, we must see what can be done for you. Suppose you came to stay with the wife and me for a bit. In
3: London? Yes,
2: we... I uh... accept!
3: Just for a short time, while I look for a position. Splendid! Would it be at all
2: possible for you to return with me today?
3: Absolutely! Oh, but won't Mrs Fleming... No need
2: to fret there. My wife would be delighted to welcome you.
3: Husbands really don't know their wives as well as they think. If I had a husband, I should be furious if he foisted an orphan upon me without any warning. At any rate, my belongings were soon packed up and I was off to London. (coughs) Mrs Fleming turned out to be a stout, placid woman who ushered me up to a spotless bedroom, informed me that tea would be ready in about a quarter of an hour, and left me alone. As she entered the first floor drawing room, I overheard her.
1: "'For heaven's sake, Henry, why on earth?' "'No, don't answer. It's perfectly obvious why. "'You're so susceptible,
3: and she is very good-looking.' "'I stared into the mirror. Was I good-looking? "'Honestly, I never thought so. "'No rosebud mouth, no big blue eyes. "'My eyes are green, which, upon further reflection, "'is quite a good colour for an adventuress. "'That's me.' Anna the Adventuress, Episode 1, The House in Kensington. In the following weeks, the house and furniture were sold, and the amount realised just covered our debts. The good news was, I still had my £87 and 17 shillings, and I remained firmly convinced that if I went looking for adventure, adventure would meet me halfway. My theory was about to be tested. It was the 8th of January. I was returning from a job interview with a lady who claimed she needed a companion, but what she really wanted was a burly charwoman who'd happily worked 12 hours a day for a pittance. We both agreed that I should not suit. At the Hyde Park tube station, there were very few people on the platform. At the very far end, there was only myself and one man. As I neared him, I wrinkled my nose. If there is one smell I cannot bear, it is mothballs. The man's overcoat reeked of them. He was a small man, very brown face, with a beard. He's only just returned to England, I deduced. That's why his coat smells of mothballs. He was in storage while he was in a warm climate. The man glanced over at me. Then his eyes moved to something behind me. And his face distorted in panic. He stepped back, as though recoiling from danger, and went right over the edge of the platform and onto the track. station official came running and took command.
2: Stand back, stand back please. You sir, give me a hand here.
3: I was rooted to the spot. Part of me appalled, part of me mesmerised by the business of lifting the man off the live rail and back onto the platform.
2: Let me pass please, I'm a medical man. A
3: tall bearded man pushed past me and bent over the motionless body. As the doctor worked a curious sense of unreality took hold of me. Something was off, wrong. The doctor stood and shook his head.
2: Poor fellow's dead, I'm afraid. Nothing to be done. All right, all of you, get back. What's the sense of crowding around like ghouls?
3: I felt suddenly sick and turned blindly, running up the stairs to the lift. I had to get to open air. The doctor who'd examined the body was just ahead of me. The lift gate was about to close and he broke into a run. As he did, he dropped a piece of paper. I picked it up and I followed him. Excuse me, doctor! Too late. By the time a second lift reached street level, there was no sign of the man, and I was left holding the paper in my hand. It was a half-sheet of notepaper, with something scrawled in pencil. 17.122 Kilmorden Castle. It meant nothing to me, but there was that smell again. I held the paper gingerly to my nose. Yes, the odour of mothballs came from the paper. I folded the note carefully and put it in my bag. Then I walked home and did a good deal of thinking on the way. Once I was up in my room, I went to work. What was it about that doctor that had struck me as off? I laid a bolster on the floor to act as the body and duplicated, so far as I could recall them, the doctor's movements. When I was done, I'd got what I wanted. There was a notice in the evening papers about a man killed in the tube and how there was some doubt about whether it was an accident or suicide. I decided to consult Mr. Fleming. Oh,
2: no question, my dear. It is your duty to come forward. You will undoubtedly be called at the inquest. You're certain no one else was near enough to see what happened?
3: I did have a feeling that someone was approaching from behind me, but they wouldn't have been as close to that poor man as I was. At the inquest... A clerk from Russell Hotel identified the man as having arrived a day earlier and registered as Mr L.B. Carruthers of Kimberley, South Africa. Carruthers had come to the hotel straight off the steamer. There was nothing in Carruthers' pockets but a house agent's order to view an unfurnished house to let in Marlow. I was the only eyewitness.
4: And is it your opinion that this was an accident, Miss Beddingfield?
3: I'm positive it was. Something alarmed the man, and he stepped backward blindly, not realising how near the edge was.
4: Any idea what alarmed him?
3: I'm afraid not. But there was something. He looked panic-stricken.
4: It is extraordinary to me that the doctor who first examined the body has not come forward. His name and address should have been taken down at the time, most irregular. Nonetheless, I think the verdict is clear.
3: And indeed, the jury quickly brought in a verdict of accidental death. Next morning brought a further surprise in the Daily Clarion. Read all about it. Millhouse
1: murder. Extraordinary sequel to death at the tube station. Woman strangled in Lonely House.
3: Here, boy. Right you are, miss. The body of a woman was discovered at Millhouse, a rental property in Marlow. Cause of death. Strangulation. An order to view Millhouse was also found in the pocket of a man who died at the Hyde Park tube station. It now seems that these two deaths occurred within hours of one another. Could they be connected? The murdered woman has not yet been identified, but is believed to be a foreigner. Sir Eustace Pedler, MP, the owner of the millhouse, is wintering on the Riviera. I devoured news about the millhouse murder. The inquest brought about the following facts. On January 8th, the same day a small man met his death in a tube station, a well-dressed foreign woman entered the offices of Butler and Park, house agents, saying she wished to rent a house on the river. She gave her name as Mrs. de Castina and her address as the Ritz. Both the name and the address were false. She was given an order to view Millhouse. Mrs. James, the caretaker for Millhouse who resides in the lodge, was called to give evidence.
4: Now, Mrs. James, in your own words... Tell us of your first encounter with the murdered woman.
1: Well, twas three o'clock when the lady came to view the house. She had the papers from the house agents all right and proper, so I gave her the key. Uh,
4: did you accompany this lady into the house?
1: No, sir, I never did. The folks what view the property like a bit of privacy to peek inside the cupboards and whatnot, so I let them look on their own.
4: And did anyone else enter the house that same afternoon?
1: Aye, the lady's gentleman friend... These ways, that's who he claimed to be. He arrived just a few minutes after she'd gone inside.
4: Describe him, please.
1: Um, tall, good-looking chap. Brown as a berry, as if he'd been lounging on the beach. Only, what was it being January? That couldn't be, could it? Uh, he wore a brown suit... Said as how he and the lady meant to meet at the house, but he'd been detained. I told him she'd just gone in, and he followed after. Not five minutes later, he was back, handed over the keys, and said as how he didn't think the house would do for them.
4: Did you see the woman?
1: No, sir. I figured as she must have gone ahead. What I did notice was the fellow looked as if he'd seen a ghost. I thought he'd taken ill, sudden-like.
4: And when was the body of the woman discovered?
1: Next day, January 9th, another lady in Jake came to view the house. It was them poor things what found the dead woman in an upstairs room.
4: You identified the body as the woman calling herself Mrs. De Castina.
1: Oh, it was her all right, no mistake. <laughs>
3: A police surgeon then testified that the mystery woman had been dead about 24 hours. A verdict of willful murder was returned and the police were left to search for the mysterious man in the brown suit. At first, the Daily Clarion was inclined to speculate that the man on the tube platform had killed the woman and afterward committed suicide. However, as the tube victim was dead at 2 o'clock and the woman was alive at 3 o'clock, that theory fell apart. Find the man in the brown suit became the battle cry of the Daily Clarion. Tall young men with well-tanned faces cursed the day their tailors had talked them into a brown suit. The accident at the Hyde Park tube, now dismissed as coincidence, faded from the public mind. But was it a coincidence? I thought not. I realised that I knew something the Daily Clarion did not. Indeed, something the police did not know. Find the man in the brown suit indeed. That is just what I, Anne Bedingfeld adventuress, was going to do.
2: This has been Episode 1 of The Man in the Brown Suit, adapted from the novel by Agatha Christie. Next up, Part 2, On the Trail of a Killer. Our cast features Sarah Wattle as Anne, along with Stephen F. Bertle, Ian Garthwaite, Richard Margaret Rather, and David A. Gingrich. When stages around the world went dark, Artis Ensemble Theatre began producing Theatre for the Mind. If you can, please consider donating to AET, or become a patron by pledging monthly. Learn more at artisensemble.org. And as always,
3: thank you for listening.